When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. This is our last Women's World Cup podcast with me and Sports Illustrated's Lakin Littman. While we've got you, make sure to check out our podcast series, Throwback, on the origin stories of the U.S. Women's National Team and the FIFA Women's World Cup. That's Throwback. You won't regret it. Onward! Let's bring in Lakin Littman. The U.S. has won the World Cup in 2019 fourth Women's World Cup title for the U.S. uh, in history, second in a row. Uh, Lakin, how are you? I'm good, Grant. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Uh, Just finished up the last press conference here in Lyon. And, um, you know, like, it's, it's interesting how it feels different than the World Cup title four years ago for the U.S. did. Uh, That was the first one in 16 years. This is just the first one in four years with a lot of the same players, but um, Netherlands played a decent game for for por- good parts of this game, at least defensively. U.S. ends up winning two nothing. Um, first off, just like, what are your thoughts on this game itself? Yeah, I thought honestly, I thought it was more physical than I was anticipating. Yeah. Um, I mean, we saw obviously, you know, there was a yellow card in the first ten minutes couple of head injuries that I think we could maybe talk about a little bit later that were pretty questionable with the non kind of concussion protocol or lack of total care for players. Um, And then just the fact that, you know, it was the first game of this World Cup that the U.S. didn't score within the first 12 minutes. And, you know, everybody, at least on, on social media, is getting all nervous because, oh, man, you know, this is a tougher opponent than anybody than anyone thought. And what's going to happen and you know the u.s obviously ends up ends up winning two nothing um but i thought it was a a good game you know the netherlands um they were more organized defensively than i think that any other team that the u.s has had faced in this world cup and Mm -hmm. that frustrated them cutting off certain passing channels and they it took them a while to kind of figure that out 
um, you know, ultimately they prevailed and, and, and won, won another World Cup. So um, it seems very, you know, it's all very exciting. The players just seemed like afterwards when you could see at least on the broadcast and I'm sure you saw while you were there, everyone on the on the bench has their arms around each other and as soon as the final whistle blows, you run onto the field and very emotional and exciting and um, I thought it was a good game. I don't know, like, would Sweden have given the U.S. a different, you know, more exciting game? Would How would it have been if they had faced Germany like so many of us had, had projected that they would have? Um, what would have been like if, you know, it had been France later on, not in the quarterfinal? That would have been kind of interesting with the, with the host nation making it. I don't know. I thought it was, I thought it was an entertaining game and um, exciting for the U.S. to win another one. Yeah, uh, a couple of things I would say about what I saw immediately after the game. Alex Morgan came by and actually pulled up her sleeve and showed uh, a, a giant bruise on her arm from the high boot that they called the penalty on. And I think she was a little bit surprised that there was even any question about whether that was a penalty or not. Yeah. VAR, uh, ultimately came in and, and uh, helped uh, the referee decide that it was. Uh, Rapino ends up converting, and that goal gives Rapino, by the way, the golden boot of the top score. She ended up with the same number of goals, six, and assists, three, I think, that um, that Morgan had. But because Rapino played fewer minutes in the tournament, she gets the golden boot. Uh, and then Rapino also gives, gets the golden ball as the MVP of the tournament, which I'll be honest, I, I, I think Megan Rapino herself thought they could win the World Cup coming in, but I don't think she was expecting to win those two other awards. Uh, and, and you just can't overstate what a tournament this was for Rapino. Um, and to come back from not playing in the semifinal and, uh, you know, like she had some decent moments on the ball today, but she also, her main thing was converting the penalty. And that's not a small thing with that amount of pressure to be perfect in this tournament from the penalty spot. Uh, Rose Lavelle then just scores a, a very Rose Lavelle goal. I love her. Um, just she has she does things that no other American player does. And uh, the way that she got the ball in open field and Vandergracht was the one who committed the penalty and then eight minutes later just gets smoked by Rose Lavelle and, and it looked to me like Vandergracht didn't even realize that Rose Lavelle was left-footed which is really poor <laughs> scouting on the, yeah. the Dutch side um, but terrific goal by Rose Lavelle uh, Tobin Heath missed about a zillion chances in the last 10 minutes but by that time the game was over um, and I, I think it's pretty interesting to me how much the Dutch changed their typical game plan to face the US right because they played very deep much deeper than they had in the entire tournament they brought Miedema who's usually their center forward back down the field into almost a midfield role and they had Berenstein alone up top and uh, it wasn't as big of a, a defensive park the bus situation as the U.S. faced from Sweden when they went out in the 2016 Olympics but it wasn't that much different and I think the U.S. has gotten better in the last three years at being able to break down uh, a team in a low defensive block like that. And we saw that today, and that is what happens when you have more creative players on the field at the same time, like Rapino, like Lavelle, like Heath. Um, 
And Alex Morgan has continued to become this sort of back to the goal workhorse at times, which is a dimension in her game that didn't used to be there. And she ended up on the ground a lot in this game, but, and in other games too, but, um, you know, pretty impressive, uh, display by her as well. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people, I mean, obviously she won, uh, the silver boot second behind Rapino in scoring, but a lot of people criticize Alex Morgan. And we've talked about this before, you know, she she should if she is the star of the team then she should be scoring you know her her thailand five goals a game or something like that and winning the the golden boot but it it should people can't forget that it was her who drew the penalty in this game and she did that in other games too and um teams tend to target her and like she is on the ground it seems like throughout this world cup half the time and as I mean you said like if she if she's got that bruise it's like this is not this is not for show um so she is putting herself in position to make those important crucial plays um that you know the U.S. ends up converting like with Rapino um getting the getting the PK today I'll be honest with you though when it was 0-0 at halftime and the U.S. had had far more chances in the first half but had not converted and some of that was due to the goalkeeper, Van Vandendal, who was, I thought, very good today. Um, you know, like, I was starting to flash back a little bit to the 2011 final and being in that mm-hmm. stadium when the U.S. had had so many chances against Japan and didn't convert. And then that game turned very late when the U.S. had controlled it and ends up going out on penalties. And you're not, you're not wanting to see that happen. Every final has its own personality, right? So, like you know, 15 minutes into this game today when it's still 0-0, I'm thinking, well, this isn't going to be like it was four years ago in the final when I think the U.S. was up 3 nothing after like nine minutes. Right. Um, and, and yet this is a veteran U.S. team, and they're not a team that freaks out, and not even their young players freak out. You know, the only situation I can recall from the entire tournament where I thought maybe the occasion was too big for a U.S. player was maybe Lavelle against France. And that's it. And that's reasonable for her to have a situation like that once a tournament. Um, But otherwise, I I can't think of any others. And Lavelle was just a monster in the semifinal. um, And obviously today uh, as well. So you mentioned earlier the France game. I, I really do think in a way that was the final, don't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone thought we called it the the final before the final and all of the all these things. And it was the most highly anticipated game before before the World Cup even started. And I still think looking back, that might be the maybe the most exciting game that we saw this this World Cup. I mean, I don't know what the I don't know how you felt about um, the environment maybe today. But from what it sounded like, that was unreal with the obviously you have the u.s fans who are making every game feel like a u.s home game and then you've got the the french fans obviously who it is a home game for and um yeah again i feel like looking back it really is too bad that that was the quarterfinal not to not to poo poo like you know the the intensity of of what today was but it still really would have been nice for that to have not happened so early on in this tournament Here's what I, I, I haven't done enough research to see how this would work out, but considering this happened in the Women's World Cup this year and the Men's World Cup last year, you, you had 
one side of the bracket much more difficult than the other side of the bracket in both tournaments. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that U.S. and France played in the quarterfinals, especially for France, which now as a result of that is not going to the Olympics next year. Um, and so I, I do think potentially something could be done where, you know, FIFA clearly uses its FIFA rankings, which are better than they used to be in terms of being accurate. Uh, they use their, their FIFA rankings to seed teams for the draw back in December for the World Cup. Um, but I, I think also they should do it so that the seat, the seeded teams um, play in like like on certain days, right? So that you would feed into a situation where one seed and eight seed would be. I don't know. Maybe I'm just talking myself through this whole thing <laughs> wrong. I'm just saying, like, I would like to see reseed, uh, like the the bracket reseeded for the knockout rounds. Yeah. Um, and I think that would be workable. Um, but I also think if you're going to do that, you have to take into account rest days between the, the last group stage game and the first knockout stage game. And so I think you could probably do something with the rankings at the draw, too, to make sure that uh, it's fairly equitable. Uh, I think it, I, I'm no, like, math whiz. I think that could be done. Yeah, I mean, to remind people, the U.S. had to face, like, they basically went through a European gauntlet to get here to the final with, with Spain, oh, yeah. France, England, and then facing the Netherlands, who, even though they're ranked eighth in the FIFA rankings officially, they are the Europe, reigning European champions. So right. it's like, it's almost like Europe, Europe threw the best they possibly could at the U.S. and, and, they, and they couldn't, um, you know, the U.S. still won. Uh, so yeah, no, I would think that would be interesting. I'm like you, I'm not sure exactly off the top of my head how that would be done, but, um, yeah, that, I, I don't, I feel like that, that should be something that would ha- should be looked at next time around. And just as we talked about before, not using the women's world cup as a way to qualify for the Olympics, because it's ridiculous that france and germany now we won't be able to see them in a competitive international play until 2021 yeah that's kind of crazy um and yeah i haven't even thought about the olympics those are next year um yeah but you know the u.s is going to be heavy favorites again like one thing that i'm sort of pondering myself and i and i said this in my video uh, that i did after the game today i i keep reading all these stories that the rest of the world is catching up with the U.S. And based on what we saw in this tournament, I don't know if that's what I take. I mean, I, I, I take away that the rest of the world is improving, and like Europe in particular is improving. A lot more European countries are, and they're being in, you know invested in. But this U.S. team <laughs> was really dominant here. You yeah. know, I, I mean, that's two straight World Cups they've won, three straight finals they've been in. Uh, the U.S. scored, except for in the final, in the first 12 minutes of every single game. And the depth was so insane that you've got your frontline subs are Carly Lloyd, Kristen Press, and Mal Pugh. That's crazy. So maybe, maybe four years down the road, we change the way that that's phrased. It's not that they're... Ca- 
Maybe it's not that they're catching up. It's just that the U.S. Or, I don't know. Like, it, it, just like what you said, like people, teams or countries are continuing to invest. But the U.S. is going to keep getting better. It's not like the U.S. is regressing in any way. Carly Lloyd was playing in her final World Cup. I mean, who knows what the future is for Megan Rapinoe. She'll be in the Olympics next year. But um, they will continue to have that crazy amount of depth, it seems. And soccer is only, I mean, you can imagine as the impact that, that this team will have, you know, when they when they get back with future generations and the, as the fight for equal pay continues and how that will impact younger younger players wanting to try to make the national team. So the depth is only going to get stronger, I feel like. Um, and I don't know. I just feel like maybe, maybe there will be a team in four years that is strong enough to beat them. Maybe France or England is um, even better in four years. But I think you're right. I feel like it shouldn't be that they're finally catching up. It's just maybe that it's just getting more competitive. Yeah, I think that could be it. I mean, I just have this feeling that we're going to be covering the 2035 World Women's World Cup and seeing these <laughs> stories of like, the rest of the world is finally catching up with the U.S., but like right that story for a while. Um, equal pay was actually a chant in the crowd uh, at the end of this game. I don't know if you heard it on the TV, um, but... It was a pretty loud chant, and um, I. Where do you think we're going with this? At least in terms of uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation. I mean, e it, the equal pay discussion isn't really happening at the club level for a lot of reasons. Those are you know for-profit enterprises, um, but U.S. Soccer is a nonprofit, and uh, its main duty is to grow the game in the US, men's and women's. They put a lot of money into the women's team, but do you see now the US women's team having, the players having much more leverage in this case that they are currently planning to go to mediation with US soccer on? Yeah, I think they have to. Um, I think that that mediation is going to be very interesting um, because they're going to come with some even harder facts than they had in the past. Whereas you'll have the TV ratings from this World Cup. You will see how with their licensing deals through the end of the year, maybe. I mean, up at least up through this World Cup and leading up to the World Cup. I mean, they didn't have once they once they won the licensing rights back and they partnered with, um, you know, the uh, NFL PA and, and the WNBA PA to create rep worldwide and um, part made created their own individual um, licensing and partners. Uh, I feel like they will have some hard figures to show U.S. soccer. Look how much money we're making. This is pure a pure example of why we should be paid more. So I feel mm -hmm. like, I mean, it's obviously up to the U.S. Soccer Federation's discretion to see if they, like, take that and what they're going to do with those those facts. But, I mean, whereas in the past they maybe didn't have all of their all of those numbers, they actually have some hard and fast facts to show them that, like, this is why um, the gap should be closed, which I think will be very well, interesting it, to see how they use that. Yeah, I mean, not only to show U.S. Soccer, but potentially a judge if uh, this mediation doesn't work. <laughs> 
um, right? Because yeah, if mediation right. doesn't happen, then then it goes back into the court system. Um, and a lot of people I've talked to think that's what will happen. Um, Jill Ellis's future I find to be interesting, and you know, the future of the players too. Um, so as I, based on what I have been told, Jill Ellis has a contract that has that ends on this July 31st. She has an option year that's held by the Federation that would go one more year and include the Olympics. Now you would assume that um, having won two straight World Cups, Jill Ellis would be a lock to be the coach for at least one more year and coach at the Olympics. I still think that's the most likely scenario, but I've heard some stuff over the last couple of days that it's not a total slam dunk, which I find interesting. And I wish I could provide more info on that, but I, I can't. There's a lot of uncertainty right now still in the Federation in the sense that they are soon to name a new CEO, which is the most important day-to-day job at the Federation. Dan Flynn is leaving. Uh, that could happen in the next month. Um, and then they're also going to name a new women's GM for the first time, actually. Ernie Stewart is the men's GM. They're going to name a women's GM, and the women's GM is going to be in charge of hiring and firing coaches um, with approval of the board. So there's a lot of moving parts right now. And I will say this, if I'm Jill Ellis, like I always think it's kind of a baller move, like when Zidane quit Real Madrid after winning three straight Champions Leagues, to like leave on that and we don't see it very often when uh, the 1998 uh, Men's World Cup winning French coach, he retired. He just stopped coaching after having won the World Cup. And I just think that's like coaches get to take so much crap around the world, especially people who are at the, you know, with the top teams, as Jill Ellis is, that I, I just I don't know if I was in her position, I might consider leaving on a win. Uh, no team yeah. has, no team's ever repeated by the or gone no team that's ever won the women's world cup has won the olympic title the next year yeah i was just gonna say i mean you could go out on top um unless you're confident enough that you can you can win the olympics but aside from i mean you 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 know better than i if carly lloyd is probably is trying to come back for for the olympics but i would assume that the starting lineup at least would be the same for next year Say for maybe Haran sneaking in there. She didn't play at all today. Um, but if you if if Alice thinks that, you know, they have a legit chance to to win the Olympics next year, maybe she leaves after that. Yeah, it's really hard to know because, you know, do you remember like four years ago? Not many people thought Lauren Holiday would retire, like the age of like like in her late twenties. Um, And she did right after the World Cup. And, you know, uh, Wambach retired, Rampone retired. Um, So I do wonder if we might have any surprises in the next week or so in terms of international retirements from, like, players who we thought would stick around. Or, in contrast, I I, I do think Carly Lloyd wants to play through the Olympics. So I think there's going to be some really interesting decisions being made, and we might get some surprises as well. Yeah, and also those 2016 Olympics where the U.S. famously lost in the quarterfinal, they were going through such an identity crisis with after all those players had retired, and it was there was so much transition. If 
this team sticks together, they won't have that issue. And then maybe Ellis feels more comfortable that she can, you know, coach this team to World Cup titled and Olympic gold. Um, but then again, like you said, there could be surprises. We don't know. Who knows? Um, I mean, the starting lineup, though, just seems it's so it's so difficult to, to pinpoint who might who might up and leave. Yeah. I mean, it's just so hard to know, you know? I mean, like, I guess I, w- I want to see what Megan Rapino does. I mean, this would be yeah. a hell of a way for her to go out. She'll you know? just uh, start a political career, maybe, instead. <laughs> um, you know, and also if a player like Kristen Press might finally become a starter for right. the U.S. team, and, and what might that be like? Um, you know, there's a lot of questions all over the field. I mean, Mal Pugh... Basically, Rose Lavelle did what I thought Mal Pugh would do a few years ago in this mm-hmm. tournament. Um, I think you said you thought Rose Lavelle was going to be your breakout star, didn't you? I did indeed. Yeah, I picked Lindsay Horan, which could have happened had she played more. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I had no idea that was going to happen. So, But yeah, I mean, I agree. I thought it was Mal Pugh, Rose Lavelle, and Lindsay Horan, any kind of you know, one of those three was going to break out, and obviously it was Rose. And I mean, I guess you could put Mewis um, in there, in there too. I think, yeah, I think she had a good tournament, and obviously for her to earn starting time in the biggest games over Haran, yeah, speaks really well of her. And, and yeah, I thought I, she's a, I think she's got a huge upside. Um, same for even players we didn't see that much of, like Tierna Davidson. Um, I, you know, there's a lot to be excited about with these younger U.S. players as well. You know, this week, I'm hearing they're going to have a parade in New York on Wednesday. Um, and I'm just curious to see how it goes for them because I know their NWSL teams will want them back before too long here to try and capitalize on this momentum. And NWSL did announce that they have a multi-year sponsorship from Budweiser today, which is a really good sign for... Uh, financial interest in the league itself um, and uh, you know they got they're on TV on on ESPN the rest of this season but you know honestly there's still some doubts about the viability beyond this year of NWSL and so we'll see if uh, those doubts completely go away it certainly helps when every single U.S. player plays in the domestic league Right. Like I saw today on Twitter, there was a lot of people saying, you know, there's local people from maybe like the Washington Post saying, hey, guys, uh, Rose Lavelle plays for the Washington Spirit. It's like just reminding your fan base that these players that you've been supporting for the last month play in your backyard. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think this is kind of a conversation after every World Cup or at least right. four years ago, reminding people that these players don't get enough attention when they are just playing their normal league games. Yeah, I, I'll be honest here. I think the NWSL needs more legitimate owners yeah. than they currently have. They've got a few who are pretty legit, but they've also got some sketchy owners. And, yeah. uh, Sky so blue. Hope, <laughs> and even that Washington Spirit team, look, you've got Rose Lavelle and Mal Pugh on your team, and you don't have much of a presence. And uh, And... So uh, there's a lot of markets that need to get better in the league. We'll see if that ends up happening. And I'm sure hardcore NWSL fans are screaming at us right now, well, you need to cover it more. And and yes, that point taken. I mean, like we try to get to NWSL stuff on the weekly video show that we host each week. Uh, And we'll have some nice guests uh, on that. But but yeah, I, I think there's an excitement now about women's soccer that, 
um, you you certainly do hope that it'll uh, not subside completely. Oh, right. I totally agree with that. And hopefully, hopefully the, the momentum, you know, uh, keeps up and uh, people don't forget that how, you know, it, it just seems like that's what happens. People forget how much they enjoyed watching the World Cup or the Olympics and, you know, they just fall back into their normal habits of watching football and baseball <laughs> and, you know, everybody forgets about forgets about women's soccer. Well, uh, I just want to wrap up by saying thank you to our listeners. Uh, we got some really nice feedback uh, throughout the tournament uh, and really appreciate that. And also thank you for uh, some really interesting, fun discussions over this tournament. And it's been one of the uh, really nice aspects of covering this World Cup for me. Oh, yeah, me too. I've in, I've enjoyed it, and I'm so glad that we were able to do this after every game. I know you had some tight deadlines and late <laughs> nights, and um, <laughs> it was a little more manageable on the East Coast. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was a great experience doing this podcast, so I've really enjoyed it. Awesome. Let's do it again sometime. Oh, yeah, definitely. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Lake and Littman, as well as producer Scott Brody and everyone at Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Remember to check out Throwback, my podcast series on the origins of the U.S. women's national team and the FIFA Women's World Cup. See you next time.